All right. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Eunice Lee, and I'm the campus director of this university in Emmaus. And uh, I am, I'm actually really excited to preach the word. And I think, like, usually, like, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous every time I give, like, a message or whatever. But something that God really gave me in Revelation was that it's not even me. It's actually God through me. And so I was, like, as I was meditating on that, I was like, you can't even fail. All you need to do is open your mouth. And then if you just speak, like, you will speak my words. So how many of you guys are excited to hear God's words today? All right. So for those of you who don't know, I'm going to give just a brief brief inter- introduction. So I was born in Maryland in the States. I grew up in Virginia. Uh, Virginia is very, the part that I grew up was very, very, like, country. It was very, very countryside. Um, I, like, went to school, and there were, like, cows and cow dung, and, like, I smelled cow poop everywhere. Um, people talk like this, and everyone talks like this. And it was very predominantly Caucasian and African-American. So I was, like, the only Korean, uh, but everyone thought I was Chinese, and everyone thought I was Jackie Chan's daughter. Like, could you not, if someone said that, like, it was from, like, third grade to, like, fifth grade and seventh, and, you know, so I dealt with a lot of racism growing up. Uh, but because I grew up in Virginia, that's where, like, my love for just, like, country, like, hiking, camping, fishing, like, all of it came from. So Korea is good, but sometimes it's not good for me. So, yeah. And then I also went to Virginia Tech. Uh, yes, I was there for the massacre, but nothing uh, personal happened then. But that was, like, a very pivotal time for me because uh, a pastor who's actually the pastor of the Itaewon campus of this church... His name is Pastor John Michael Becker. You guys will probably know him. He is actually going to be speaking next Tuesday. But he completely changed my life by speaking at my large group when I was a junior. And uh, at the time, he was um, like uh, heading up an orphanage ministry for children. And he was like, oh, yeah, by the way, he gave us a message. And he was like, by the way, if anybody wants to come for two months, uh, we have an internship program for people who want to serve at the orphanage. And immediately, my heart just jumped. And so I went to Korea that summer of like, I think, 08, and I loved it so much. And I went to New Philadelphia Church, which is the church that this ministry is over today, and completely fell in love with the church. I didn't apply for grad school. I said I would just come straight back to Korea. And so, um, yeah, after that, I just came. And then so when I came here, I came as, uh, I majored in English uh, education. So I came to teach English for a year like everybody else, and I planned to leave in a year, like everybody else. So every single time I said, like, well, this is it. Like, this is the year. Like, I'm leaving. Every time I did that, God made it so clear and was like, no, you need to stay. I didn't even get a phone that was really nice because it's a two-year plan, and that scared me. So I was like, no, no, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm just going to keep my old, whatever, T9, like, phone. And so I didn't even do that. But uh, every time I said that, um, God really challenged me and made it very clear that I'm not leaving and I'm, I'm not going anywhere. And so... Um, yeah, through that time, in spring of 2012, actually, uh, Pastor Aaron, who was the director of this ministry, challenged all the staff at that time to make a three-year commitment to Emmaus Ministry. And so that was 2012. I cannot believe this, like right now, it's 2014. But at that time, I can tell you that I uh, already was a no. Like, I was so sure in my heart that uh, I am not staying, and so I was ready to say no. But then 
God gave me so many dreams and so many sermons that made it very clear for me to stay. And so I made the commitment, bit my lip, made it. And I can tell you right now that in three years of committing to this ministry, I have found my calling. I have found like massive healing from like past broken hurts or whatever. Like I just, I don't know, I found lifelong friends with the people I work with. Uh, I just, my whole life got completely changed. Completely, completely changed. That was three years. And can you imagine in three months, which has happened before in this ministry, what God can do in these three months, in this semester? And how God can change your life, how God can put people in your path, or just even give you, like, revelation of what you're supposed to be doing if you don't know and if you have an undeclared major, things like that. Like, what God can do in three months. And because David already led the topic for it, one thing I did want to tell you guys was to be uh, really expected for this whole semester. That's... That's like the one thing I want you guys to take. If there's anything, be expectant. Don't turn your brain off. And don't automatically assume that this is just um, any study abroad program because it's not. And there's a true reason why God has called each and every one of you guys to be in this ministry, to be on this campus, to be at KU, uh, besides Yonsei, besides SNU and Hanyang and Wede and all these other places. There's a specific reason why it's KU, okay? And so... Uh, that was just my intro, but I'm going to give you little bits of my story, actually, uh, with the sermon I'm be preaching today. So if you guys can turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. We're going to read verse 1 through 18. I have my Bible printed out here, so just in case it, I'm going to just read it with you. So 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 through 18. And if you're taking notes, the title of the sermon is called In the Midst of discouragement. I'm discouragement today. You guys there? First Kings chapter 19, verse 1. We're going to start at verse 1. Alright, I'm going to go first, then you go, you guys know the drill. I go first, you go, and then I go and you go, okay? Verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Oh my gosh, what version is it? Okay. Uh, verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey There's an echo going on here. Uh, okay, then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And then the Lord, okay, sorry. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been in Jerusalem this morning. I am only one left, and I 
But may the Lord say, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Uh, the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elijah, son of <laughs> okay, okay, verse 17. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel, and Elisha, Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Alright, amen. I'm going to say a quick prayer for us. Father, I just thank you so much for this word that is about to go out, God. I just pray that it just hits even the hardest of hearts, the sleepiest of hearts, the numbest of hearts, God. I just declare, Lord, that it's going to set freedom for everybody in this place, God. So I just pray would hearts be aligned to you. God, would you anoint the words that are coming out of my mouth. And God, I just pray before we all leave this room tonight that you will be glorified, God. So God, we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so I'm generally a positive person. I think one thing that I've always gotten ever since I was young was that uh, people were saying, like, you're just naturally positive, you're a natural encourager. It just comes naturally for me. I don't see bad guys and uh, thorns and, like, I don't know, just terrible endings in movies. I don't really see those things that well. And so even in my lifetime, I would offend Probably like the realistic people, like even when we're like, let's say we're all late, you know, to somewhere, and it's like, oh my gosh, we're so late, like we're gonna get in trouble or whatever, we're gonna miss the movie or something, and I'm just like, oh, it's okay, like we can just, you know, catch it and then like buy the DVD and then like go watch it again after, and like everything that they would say, I had something to rebuttal it. Everything that was negative, like uh, or something that would try to discourage me, like it was so easy for me to just see the good in it, and so. Naturally, that was that was me. Anyone naturally like that? Anybody here? Probably a lot of realistic people. Okay, awesome. Two people. Uh, so I looked at the dictionary, right? And then the synonyms, synonyms, the synonyms of discouragement. Some of them are actually depression and hopelessness. And in this passage, Elijah was Elijah was definitely depressed and hopeless. He wasn't just discouraged, but he was depressed and hopeless. So what I want to preach to you guys today is how God uh, acknowledges us in this place, what he does in the midst of it, and how he walks us out of it, okay? And so these, these things are in order for Elijah that I'm going to point out to you guys, but don't think of it like a recipe, a step-by-step, or whatever, but if any of these things speak out to you guys, I want you guys to just take it and run with it, okay? And so what you need to know before this passage was that back in chapter 18, uh, Ahab and his wife Jezebel, they worshipped Baal, who was actually the most popular Canaanite god, instead of worshipping the true god, right? And so Elijah gathers up all the Israelites of the town, tells them to go to Mount, Mount uh, Carmel, 
and to bring 450 prophets of Baal. And he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? Pick one. If you're going to worship Baal, worship Baal. If you're going to worship God, worship God. But how long will you waver between the two? Right? I love that question. So he says, I want you to bring two bulls. Give one to me. You guys take one. Cut up into pieces. Set it on wood, but do not set it on fire. So basically, you will call upon your God, who is Baal, and I will call upon my God. And we will see where the fire falls. And wherever the fire falls between the two, that will be the true God. And so people are like, okay, okay, all right, all right. So uh, basically, the Israelites go first, and they're just calling out to Baal. And then at first, Baal is just like, I mean, he's not even answering at all. And then they're like, oh, he's probably sleeping or traveling or chilling. And then the Israelites are dancing. They're shouting really loud. They're even taking swords and slashing their skins until blood trickles down from their bodies, right? And they're just trying to get his attention. They did this from the morning until the nighttime. Nothing happened. And then basically, Elijah was like, okay, my turn. So basically, he takes, you know, he sets up his own altar. He takes stones, like he makes a trench, and he has like water, and he pours it, and he does like some little ritual thing, right? And then he sits down, and he says, come to me, for all the Israelites. And he says to God in a very genuine prayer, he basically uh, tells them, um, answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And bam, fire comes on high, it consumes the entire altar, and everybody witnesses this, and they just fall prostrate, and they just confess that, well, this is the true God, and this is the true Lord, right? How gangster is that? Like, during this, like, sacrificial showdown for them to just actually have, like, you know, and then for him to just say this genuine prayer, not even knowing if God is going to answer him, and then basically, like, God just totally... Like, that's miracle number one. The second one was they had a drought, and uh, he, he asked God, can you, can you please end this drought? And then rain comes, rain actually falls down, right? And so he seizes all the 450 prophets. Then he goes and approaches Ahab again, gives him a chance to really turn his life around and get it back with God. But Ahab refuses. Instead, he goes to his crazy wife named Jezebel. He tattles on her and tells her everything that happened. Did you know that, you know, he sees all of our 450 uh, prophets? And she just is livid. Like, she is enraged. And she sends a messenger and says, I want you to go to Elijah and say that I'm going to kill him. And he gets scared and he runs for his life. Okay, like this is this is Elijah where like 450 prophets, uh, he like you know him versus one versus 450. God shows up and then bam, like fire comes. He proves them all wrong and then one little measly queen comes by and says, "I'm going to kill you." And he just like shudders and he gets scared to the point where he flees away from that town. How many times does that happen to us? Where we like you know come back from a large group, we come back from a retreat, we come back from getting an A on an exam or something, and then why is it always during the times when we experience the greatest victories in our lives, and then the moment right after, like something terrible happens? It's just one little thing, and we just focus it all on that. Am I the only one here? No. And so I think. That's something that God was saying. He was like, are you serious? Like, you're not going to even remember that what I just did for you, and you're scared by this. You know, because she was crazy, by the way, Jezebel. But like, you know, and then he just, and then so he, he immediately thinks that his whole situation in life stops. But what I want to point out to you guys is that even though you think this stopped, you think the grace has run out, God's will and God's promises for your life never stop. So just because you stop doesn't mean that God does. 
Okay? This is something we need to remember. Every time we feel defeated after something great happens, right? And um, like just like the other, just the other week, uh, we we kicked off KE's for his large group. That was great. I moved into an apartment. That was wonderful. Like you know, I had like everything going on, and I was settling down and everything. And I remember like it was like Thursday or something, but uh, I opened my backpack and I like had lost my iPhone charger. And you can ask my best friend who was, you know, just living with me, and I was like laughing just a second ago, and I was having the time of my life, and I was telling about how amazing my day was, and I was like really excited about this and this and this, and then my phone charger is gone, and I kid you not, I don't even know why I reacted this way, but I was so angry at myself, and I, I just, I kept saying like, oh, like, oh my gosh, and then she was like, you know, it's like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I'm not okay, because like my phone charger, and I don't even know why, it was like a phone charger, but I don't know about you guys, but I get really angry when I lose things because I know better than that. Like, that's my mentality. So I know where I put you down. I know where I placed you. So if you're gone, there's no way that it could have been gone. But the fact that it was, I was just so angry. And that literally just sucked up all the joy that happened that entire week. And I remember uh, after I pulled down after 20 minutes, I sound like a crazy person. I don't have to go I bought another one. It was, it was because it was my second one that I lost in three days. That's why I was angry. And so, like, um, I bought another one, and then my roommate was like, "Are you okay now?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm okay." Like, I honestly thought I was like possessed, <laughs> like really, just really, really angry. Um, but really, like, God sat me down that night. And he was like, "Are you kidding me? Like, you really, you were angry by that really small thing when, like, you're just praising and like laughing and things like that." And so, I know exactly how. Elijah feels in this situation, right? And so, one of the first things that I want you guys to remember from this is that in the midst of discouragement, you need to zoom out. So don't focus on the many things, but, I mean, no, no, focus on the many things, but don't focus on that one thing, okay? And so, basically, God, this is me, like, thinking, like, God is like, Elijah, like, I've given you all the help and the success, but one thing comes along, and, and then you're angry? Like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, just, just, I just, you know, did all these miracles for you, these victories for you, but then one little queen sends an itty bitty messenger and says, I'm gonna kill you, and then you just, you don't even have proof of that, and you're scared, and you run away, and then you're discouraged? Like, that didn't, that makes sense to Elijah, and obviously acted out of fear, but for God, it's like, really, really, Elijah? Like, I, you know, I feel like God was like, really? Like, why can't you just look at this? You know, why can't you look at the bigger picture, right? And so Elijah runs away, and he hides under a broom tree, and he basically, like, isolates himself. And he, like, you know, if you leave discouragement alone, it turns into depression. If you leave depression alone, it turns into isolation. And then it just gets so messy. And how many of you guys, when you get depressed, the last thing you want to do is talk to somebody, right? And I, for me, like, when I get depressed, I don't really, like, show it as much, I guess. Maybe I do. But, um, but then I think the first reaction that I want is I want to just withdraw from the entire community. And I just want to, like, be by myself. And I think this is exactly how Elijah, uh, yeah, this is exactly how he reacted. Like, he got, like, depressed, discouraged, and he just withdrew and he just ran away and isolated himself in this place, right? Uh, but even in that place, even though Elijah stepped out of his covering, stepped out of his boundaries, God still met him there. 
And so this is not a time. This is one thing I want you guys to know. God did not meet Elijah during a time where he was victoriously celebrating all the 450 prophets. He didn't, like, victor- you know, he wouldn't show up when he brought a miracle. But he even shows up when Elijah is sitting under the broom tree complaining, like, just end my life now here, God. And he still shows up because he recognizes his physical state and he says, oh, i got to encounter you right now and i got to be with you, right? And so the second point I want you to uh, understand is that in the midst of our discouragement, he gives us true rest. That is that, that is it. And I'm saying rest because I think it's one of the hardest things to do in this country, especially this whole body body mentality, like this hurry hurry thing. And so uh, I'm not even one to like things that fast. In fact, I'm pretty slow at things, and I like to be slow, and I hate it when people rush me or when people you know, tell me to do this. How many of you guys grew up in countries where the, the climate and the atmosphere is pretty slow, right? You have Southeast Asia right there? <laughs> I kid you not, when I went there, I felt like I was in heaven. Like, I wanted to not leave. In fact, I went to Boracay in the Philippines. I came back, and I had like a two-week slump of why am I in Korea? Because I hated cell phones, people contacting me, telling me to hurry up, pushing me in the subway, smelling, and all those things, right? And so, um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. They smell like you're really close, by the way, and that's how we all are in Korea in some ways. Okay, so, but one thing is that in this place of rest, God uh, didn't just tell him to shut up when Elijah was like, oh, like, God, just, Elijah was being very dramatic. He was like, just end my life here, God. Like, this is it. Like, you know, this is, this is all I can do, and I just want to die. That's what he basically said. But in this place of rest, God doesn't say, like, you know, just be quiet. But he sends an angel... And the angel brings him food and tells him to get up and eat, right? And so Elijah eats the food and then he lays back down. And then he sends the angel again. And the angel says, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. And so God recognized that the journey that Elijah was about to take was going to require more effort. So he says, before you even start to, you know, go in guns blazing in the enemy's territory, I need you to first be okay. Like, I need you to get the rest that you need. I need you to be in the physical state that you are supposed to be in, right? And so um, I think one thing that I really, really connected with here was that for, like, I had, what is it? Like, I had a pretty, like, tough time, like, last, I think, like, all last year. And um, it was just a really, really bad time in my life. And I think uh, even, I think, Sarah, who lives, who lived with me at the time, remembered, and even David, who was there. I just remember, like, I, every time I wanted to, um, like, just be by myself, I couldn't because, it's ironic, I was in Emmaus. And so every function, I kid you not, like, it got so much worse. Um, so basically, I'm just, I'm going to be honest. Uh, I think last year, every part of my life that, that could have gone wrong went wrong, right? And so sometimes in your family, you have family problems that you at least have, like, your friends to rely on. Or if you have, like... Friend problems, you have, like, I don't know, your health, your physical health, that's really great to rely on, things like that. But at that time, um, my parents, like, they were already divorced, but they decided to go on a second divorce. My dad did, and my finances were, like, depleting, and my health was on the line because I had so much chronic stress that my doctor said my immune system crashed, so I had all these viruses and things I had to go to multiple like uh, doctor's appointments, and I remember my 
my friend Sarah was with me the whole time, like, you know, through all of it, and, um, everything, like, even relationally, like, my best friend who's now engaged, her name is Sarah, and even my sister, my younger sister, uh, we're both gonna get married at the, around the same time, and that in itself for a girl, if you have a younger sister, and then you have Korean parents, and you get those questions, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. So I had a moment of, like, I remember when I first heard that uh, her, her fiancé now, she he messaged me and said, I'm going to propose to your sister, like, what do you think? And I, I remember, I felt like my world was crashing down, just for, just for a second. And I remember, like, when I got that message, I didn't even tell my roommates because I, I had so much pride, but I was, like, cutting garlic, I remember, and I cut it in the slowest, most inefficient way possible because I needed to be alone, and I couldn't even be alone. And I remember I was just, like, cutting it out, and it was just so, it was worthless, it was pretty bad. And then I remember, like, after that moment, uh, I mean, it, it was hard because I have to plan both, and I'm basically, like, the maid of honor of both, you know, things like that. So, that in itself was crashing. There were just so many things that were going on, and on top of that, I made us functions on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and every single time, I got a text message from my brother, or, like, something terrible would go on, like, on a Tuesday and a Thursday. I always, on the way to KU, like I have a long commute, always, so I'm crying on line six, I get off of line six, I'm smiling on, on campus, I'm smiling on the mic, I come back home, close the door, cry again, go to sleep, Wednesday's a break, Thursday all over again. Like it, it was just, it was one of the worst times I think of my life, and it got even worse during the fall. And so every Sunday I would bounce. I would just like go, you know, worship God and whatever new Philly, smile, and then uh, I would just leave like right after. And I think even Sarah knew when she lived with me, like my door was closed all the time. So if it was like open, maybe it was because it was a movie night and I love movies, it was a special occasion. But even during the movies, I didn't even watch it. And I remember they would call me out on that. So it was just one of the worst times. And I remember at one point I was questioning my social skills because I started getting really nervous when I was put in uh, big settings because I wasn't used to talking to people. I had lost a lot of the friendships at my church that I thought I was doing pretty well at. And if you were in Emmaus, I wasn't talking to you. That was a big thing. And then on top of that, I had my familiar girls at the time that I had to really be strong for. And then I had my staff. And then I had like all these things, right? So I isolated myself and it was... Uh, it was it was pretty bad to the point where I had to go in to Pastor Erin, who counseled me, and the first thing she says when I tell her this whole situation is not like go into your room and like pick up a Bible and pray or cast off isolation in Jesus' name, like none of those things, but the first thing was just simple homework, and what she said was, I want you to start hanging out with people again, and uh, I actually laughed because I... I was pretty, I'm pretty, you know, sociable, and, like, I, I like people and things like that, but for her to tell me, like, uh, first, we need to get you back on track, and we need you to start hanging out with people was, like, the weirdest thing for me. I mean, but it was the most fun homework I've ever gotten. Like, she was saying, like, you basically have to chill with people, and I want you to start chilling this week, and you don't even have to sit at a cafe and talk deep, like, conversations with them, but you could even watch a movie with them because that means that you don't have to talk to them, but you're still in their presence. So it was, like, all those things. And so one thing that Pastor Erin recognized was before she gave me my assignment, like, what I really need to do, she recognized my condition and realized that this is not good. And before we even get to that spiritual aspect, I need you to get back and get your relational connection like running before you could even do anything else, right? And so basically for Elijah, he's strengthened by the food and rest, 
And then he travels 40 days and 40 nights until he reaches Mount Horeb. And then he goes into a cave and he spends the night there. And in that cave, this is one of my favorite parts of this passage, is when God asks the million-dollar question, what are you doing here, Elijah? Right? And so one of the, uh, the third point that I want you guys to write down, in the midst of discouragement, God will simply ask you, what are you doing here? Okay? So what are you doing here? And isn't that the question that God asks us sometimes today? Like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here running away from your problems? Who told you that you could even, like, you know, be in this place or that place? Like, what exactly are you doing here? And so, for me, like, during that time, like, which was, you know, a couple months ago, I, I found this question so offensive. Because I was like, God, what do you mean, what am I doing here? I'm here because you put me here. And how dare you say that when you see all of my, you know, like, everything that I went through, and you're asking me, what am I doing here? Like, do you not love me? And did, did you really abandon me? Like, I, I was so offended. Like, when I even, you know, if God were to have asked me, Eunice, like, what are you doing here? Like, why are you so downcast on my soul? Like, all those things. Like, I just felt really offended, like, when I was first... Uh, reading this passage, right? But Elijah's response to God's question in verse 10 says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So Elijah basically vents. Like, he lets God have it. And if you don't know venting me, it's when you just release all your thoughts and your emotions and all those things, right? And so... What Elijah is saying is, God, I've served you faithfully all this time, and this is the treatment that I get? Like, everything I've, you've asked me to do, I've done it. So why isn't anything happening? Why aren't things clicking in my life? Why aren't you bringing the success and the victory that I've always hoped for? Like, why? So what do you mean, like, what am I doing here? And so that's how he retaliates, right? And I remember, like, uh, during that time, back in uh, last, last year, uh, one of the things that uh, Pastor Aaron was telling me was that venting is not bad. Uh, it's not bad if you just let it out and you don't, you skip the whole, no, God is so good, like God is going to get me out, or my family's covered and like whatever. And she just totally said, just like give it to him, God can handle it, but don't stay in that place. And I think that's something that I really had to remember because as much as I vented to God, I stayed in that place, I gave him the finger, so many, not finger, I pointed my finger at him so many times. <laughs> I don't get fingers. Um, yeah, but I, I pointed my finger at him seriously so many times and I like yelled like, God, what are you doing? And like all those things. And um, basically, I think what God was saying is, Elijah, um, why are you here? That's not what he said. He didn't say, Elijah, why are you here? But he said, Elijah, what are you doing here? Meaning, he was asking Elijah to reevaluate the place that he was in. And that's one of the main things. So when, basically, when he ran away, it wasn't Jezebel that told him to do it. It wasn't Ahab that told him to do it. It was actually Elijah himself that told him to do it. So when God was asking, what are you doing here? I really believe that he was asking, what are you even accomplishing here in this place that you're in? What are you focusing on? And what are you even giving your attention to? So that's kind of like what your perspective is. Like whenever you're discouraged and if you hear that question, what are you doing here? And God's asking, what are you doing here? I really believe that he's just asking you merely what, like just to reevaluate why you're even in this position. Okay, so is this doing you any good? 
So, okay, let's move on. So God asks Elijah, what are you doing here? Then Elijah vents everything, and then God tells him, go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. So when we're, like, discouraged and we're depressed, we oftentimes feel a lot more alone than we actually might be. And so when God recognized that he was in this place and he, was, he felt really alone, he knew immediately during that time that he needed to, to encounter Elijah. So he says, go to the mountain because that's where I'm going to be. Like, you will find me there and you will encounter me there, right? And the next thing that happens in this passage is really interesting because first he sends a powerful wind and the mountains split apart and Elijah was for sure like, God, you were in that wind. You were right there. But God wasn't there. And then after the wind, he sends a mighty earthquake, and he's like, for sure, God, you are in that earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then the fire came, and he was like, okay, well, I know this fire, the, you know, the, what happened with the bald priest. Like, God, surely you are in the fire, but it said that God was not in the fire either. But right after the fire, he hears a whisper. And God basically whispers uh, to Elijah, which immediately humbles him. Because he knows that it's God's voice during that time, right? So for me, when I read this passage, it gave me a lot of hope because, like, I don't know about you guys, but uh, whenever there's, like, a powerful service, and then the preacher is like, okay, we're going to close in prayer. Oh, whoever wants prayer, come up. And then uh, we're going to set you free today. And then basically, like, I'm expecting to be set free ten times later. But then nothing happens, and everyone else is getting set free next to me. And, like, nothing happens. And I get extremely discouraged. And then when I go back home, it's always like those times, like right when I go back home, I'm washing my face and then I hear God whisper. And he's just like, he's just giving me like this revelation that sets me free in that way. Right. And it gave me so much hope because whenever I feel discouraged during the times where I think I might find him, it's like those unexpected times where I actually hear his voice. Right. For me, it's always when I'm washing up and it's always when I'm going to pee at night. It's always like those two things. And I kid you not, I've had some of the most revelational moments, like washing up in that three-minute span of brushing my teeth, and God gave me, like, the most powerful answers, like, to my questions. And, like, even, like, when I was, like, so sad, and I was going to sleep, and I was having a hard time, I had to pee in the middle of the night, as I was, like, hey, God, like, says something really crazy to me, I'm like, wait, what? And it was so <laughs> faint that I couldn't really, like, I couldn't even understand, I was like, what? And I, I actually, it was so quiet that I didn't even know if it was God or myself. And it happened even last night, too. Like, I woke up in the middle of the night again, and then God was, like, speaking to me. And then I looked up the verse in the Bible that he spoke to me. And then it really was um, some of the things I was looking for. It's, like, always in the most least expected times and the least expected moments, right? And so, I'm like, can we open the windows here in the back? Oh, I'm sweating like crazy. <laughs> Thank you. Um, look how all the men are in the back. Um... Yeah, okay, so one, one clear example that I want to give is that um, about four or five years ago, I had this condition with my eyes. I mean, it was a disease, pretty much, and um, I, I wore contacts ever since, like, I was in seventh grade, I think, and um, I, I'm actually, I was the king of staying up overnight in college, because I never studied and I always played, and I always, uh, like, I always stayed, like, up all night, and I didn't get any work done, right, so this one time, I stayed up all night, 
And there was like 24 hours of contacts in my eyes. And then the next day, I, I went through the next day and I fell asleep again. So I had it on for like more than 48 hours, I think, or something. And I woke up and my eyes were like inflamed. And this is like senior year, second semester. And my eyes were just like bloodshot red. Like I look like a zombie, right? So I, I, I mean, I've seen, that happened to me before. So I just took them out and I was like, okay, I'll just wait a little bit. And um, I put them back in like a couple hours later and the same exact thing happened and they were completely red and inflamed. So I finally go to the optometrist and he was saying like, you have something called the dry eye syndrome. And some of you guys might know this, but for my case, it was really bad. In fact, how he tested this out was he took uh, paper and like it was like this paper, like this little tab here, stuck the tab on my eyes and the paper jutted out and it would wet it, right? Because your eyes get moist and it would wet it to a certain extent. And this was like normal, but I barely got up to here. That's how dry it was. So actually for like a year and a half, I didn't even like cry. It was hard for me to because uh, I didn't produce any like moisture and stuff in my eyes. And then the doctor said like, you have to like live with this for the rest of your life. And I was tremendously like, I have never felt so discouraged before because if there's one thing that I would want God to help me in my outer appearance is to not make me wear a time machine, thick glasses for the rest of my life because it's so unattractive. To me it was. And so every time I wore glasses, I felt like, <laughs> okay, so I can't ever check all statements. <laughs> Basically, like for me though, like I don't know about you, but I have, I have pretty bad eyes and I want to get LASIK someday, but I'm just scared of the whole like process, but uh, I have really bad eyes, so the moment I put my eyes on, it looks like crab eyes, like my eyes get like extremely small, and so every I had to wear glasses for the last semester of my <laughs> senior year of my entire amazing fun college life, I, I seriously was like, I am never going to get guys this way, I am never going to date again, and like I'm not going to have friends, I was just so depressed. And I remember um, there were many times, right? And then so I, I came to Korea, like I was, you know, I graduated. One of the first things I told Pastor JM was, um, he was like, what do you expect? And I was like, I want my eyes healed. And he was like, I don't think it's gonna come the way that you think it is. And so there's so many moments, like during conferences and retreats where I was like, this is it. Like, this is, this is it. Like, I'm gonna, my eyes are gonna get healed. Like, I don't care what the optometrist said. Like, this is the moment. And then nothing would happen. And then there are other moments where like me and my friend, like we could have like sworn we heard God say, take out your like contacts or glasses and smash them, right? As an act of faith, like smash your glasses. And like, things like that, right? Of course I didn't do it because I was really scared. And I don't wanna pay for more. But, um, but you know, there's so many moments where I, I was like, this is definitely it. Like, this is the moment. That happened for four or five years. So if you like looked at my like earlier, like New Philly pictures, like I wore glasses during that time. And um, I would get everyone to pray for me and I would make every pastor, every friend, right? Because I wanted to wear them, but I couldn't go on for more than three hours. Um, so basically there was this one time uh, during a Sunday swim, which is the prayer meeting before our service every Sunday morning. And uh, Pastor Benjamin, who is actually the spiritual mentor of our uh, head pastor, Pastor Christian, he came to say something like really small. It was like a really small blurb, so unexpected, like, you know, and I was just listening to him. And basically he says, uh, there's a reality versus truth, right? And what he, the, this little line that he said was, um, even if he's feel pain, like physical pain, it may be real, but it's not the truth. 
And so he says, many times we take what we feel that's real and we automatically assume that it's the truth, but it's not. And for some reason, that blew my mind and immediately, like, I went on a mission trip to Nepal that, uh, that you know, that next week, and my eyes were, like, healed. And the first time in five years, or four or five years, I was able to put them on, and I was so, I wasn't even used to the miracle, right? Like, after hearing that truth, and I was able to just put my contacts on, and it was a miracle to have them on for, like, more than five hours without them inflaming. And from that point on, I've never experienced, you know, like, the symptoms. I was completely healed. From that little moment, and from that really small whisper uh, during a Sunday swim, like the most least expected time, when I thought all those previous times, like this was it, like this was for sure, like this is the altar call, this is the day, like I thought God was going to send an angel to pour out liquid healing on my eyes. That's <laughs> always the way that I saw my healings, but obviously it was, you know, through someone just saying like a little line, right? And so, um, yeah, that's something I want to encourage you guys to, like, anytime, like, you're like, oh, this is probably it, and you get discouraged, you also have to know that God knows how to whisper just as much as he knows how to shout and, like, you know, be crazy in your breakthroughs and things like that, right? Okay, the next point is that um, in the midst of discouragement, uh, God gives us something to do. And this is kind of weird because basically when he asks Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah complains and he gives that, I've done everything for you. Why did you do this for me? Answer. And then he tells him, go to the mountain. And that's where he you know, speaks to him in a whisper. And then he asks him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then God completely just disregards the complaining or whatever. And then he says, I want you to go back where you came from. So every time Elijah complained to him, God gave him something to do. And really, during this time, I really believe that God was keeping him from this introspective thinking of, like, his own, like, wallowing, right? Because every time we get discouraged, every time we're hopeless or just, like, depressed or whatever, there are so many times where uh, we could just sit down and just think forever and have it just, like, spiral, spiral down. And then you're in, like, a much worse place than you were before, right? We have thinkers in here? People that think a lot. I know last year they did. Yeah? Okay. So I don't really think that much, so it's not really a problem for me. But I think a lot, I mean, if something is bad and I'm hurting, obviously I think, like, but I don't really, I don't ever question, like, why did this happen or that. If it happened, it happened. Like, if God shows me this, he shows me that. I don't say, why? What do you, what do you think about that? Like, why do you think he did that? Like, I don't ever go there. I just feel like, oh, thank you, God, for giving that to me. Next. Like, that's how I was just saying. And so even, um, I really believe that, like, that's what Elijah was doing. He was just really, you know, like, kind of going down. And, like, the danger of this kind of thinking is that the, just because the longer you think about something doesn't equate it to being right. And that's sometimes a problem that we have. Like, we think something that probably isn't even the truth, and then the longer we think about it, it becomes solid, and then by the time someone's trying to speak into it, you don't even hear it because you're so convinced that you've thought so much about it that this is right, and this has got to be the answer. Am I wrong? No. Yeah. And so this is something that I remember constantly, constantly, like, like first of all, the thought is, wasn't even God's, but you're still thinking on it, and then you're making that the truth, and that jacks you up, and then you got to get healing for that, and so it's just this kind of thinking, and that's why I really believe that God gave Elijah something to do, because the truth is, when he gives you an assignment, and sometimes it is during the times when you are the most discouraged, like, God, this is the last thing I could be thinking about right now. Why did you give this to me? Or, God,
God, I'm already suffering, and why do I have to do all this homework? Or why do I have to do all these midterms or whatever? God, I have so many things on my plate, but why are you telling me to do this? Why are you telling me to attend here? Why are you telling me to go here, right? And so I really believe that the more you uh, follow through with the task that he gives you, then you'll get the revelation and more peace. Because God knows a lot more than you know, right? And he knows far greater than the, the little that you even know as well. And so that's kind of like how I am with even my kindergarten kids when I used to teach them. There are certain kids that you can just read it on their face that they were so offended. Like these are five-year-olds, right? Four. They're, you know how create ads a year? So they're four. And so like they're four-year-olds and like there was like this little boy named Tony and like Daniel. And every time um, someone would like offend them, a little kid, nothing like, it wasn't even like the other you know, students' fault. They would like just, I could see them thinking about it and getting so upset and they're not even hearing what I'm teaching them anymore. And so immediately, I purposely give them an assignment. I'm like, Tony, can you help me set up dodgeball for gym class? Or, or like, Daniel, can you help me put the chairs away? And they're like grumbling at first, but then the more that they do it, the more that they do it, uh, they start to forget about it. And like, it's okay, right? And so that's kind of like, uh, like the reason why I believe that every time God asks Elijah, what are you doing? You know, Elijah vents, and then he gives you that task, right? The last point in how God really deals with our discouragements is that I believe he sends people to run alongside with us so that we don't feel alone. And even with Pastor Aaron preaching last week about the Emmaus Road, there were two men, not one. Uh, there was Joshua with Moses, not just Moses. There was Adam and Eve, and not just Adam, right? And so God is all about this fellowship, this communal gathering, and all these things. And I really believe that uh, God basically told Elijah, I want you to go back to where you were from, and I want you to anoint these three people to succeed you as prophets. So God knew that he couldn't do this journey alone, and that he needed people to be with him, right? And so this is always the reason why I encourage students to join small group. I kid you not, this is not a plug for this, by the way. But I really encourage them to join it because, yes, you can get blessed at Sunday service. Yes, you can get blessed at large group. Um, you can get blessed in the bigger gatherings. But there's something about being in a smaller setting and trusting in someone to hold your hand through whatever you're going through and actually having peers next to you realizing that you're not the only one going through this thing and you guys walking alongside together suffering on this journey there's something about that that's so comforting and that it really draws people closer together amen and so i think i really believe that um even for that like that's why I always tell people, like, in this ministry, like, you should also do Familia as well. Familia is our small group, right? And then they always ask why. I'm like, well, it's because you can't say things in large group, you know, but you can say stuff in small group, blah, 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 advertisement, promotion, things like that, right? And so, um, yeah, and I think, uh, finally, like, one thing I did want to say was that as I was preparing for this message, I remember, like, there was a point, like, this morning where I just started, like, breaking down in tears, and I didn't even know why, and I, and I realized that, um, like, at first I was writing in this in the third person perspective, because I'm like, oh yeah, this is like, oh, this is real good, like, oh, this is how, like, Elijah gets out of discouragement, oh, this is great, but I think what God was really saying was, you know, do you not remember that you were also the person that was under that broom tree, you're also someone that isolated yourself, and you're also someone that was so discouraged and so hopeless that you could not get yourself out of that situation, and you were also like Elijah. And then I just 
Like, I even can't believe now, like, if I were to, I mean, I'm pretty sure the girls that were with me before last semester saw a little bit of it, but I can't even believe that I'm able to even talk about it now. Like, without crying, like, without falling apart, and, you know, things like that. And so, like, but even it was funny, because, like, what Elijah did and what God made Elijah do, Pastor Aaron had made me do. And she, you know, like, God gave Elijah time to vent his frustrations out. Pastor Aaron told me, I want you to... Uh, seclude an hour or two for yourself, tell your roommates not come home for that night, come a little later, and I want you to just sit down with God, and I want you to just tell him exactly what you're feeling, don't tell him, God, I really hope you put my family together, like, God, I really hope that you heal me, like, God, I really hope you're like this, but I want you to just straight up give it to God, because he can handle it, and so... This was like last semester, and I remember I just sat down after Sunday service in my room, and I just like gave it to God, and I have never yelled so hard. Like I was praying, of course, but I was just, I turned to yelling and screaming, and I literally let out like years of like pain of like my first divorce and then my parents' second one, and like I realized through that process I was even getting healing, and like God was giving me so much revelation, and. After that venting, she said, okay, after you vent, then wait, and just wait for God to just speak. And um, I can tell you that I've been complaining like maybe all last year, but I've never really given him time to speak. And so I didn't even know if it was going to happen, but I just like was quiet for a little bit. And I had my computer on because I was ready to type whatever I felt God was saying because my writing is too slow. So I wanted to like type it out. And um, I listened for him and then his voice came. And before I knew it, I felt like I, my mind was so empty that I didn't even know what I was writing. But I just filled like four pages of like Microsoft Word, like straight up, all God, him talking directly about my dad, key prophetic words to my brother that later my brother was like, this is so incredible. And like everything with my family, to my finances, to like my future, like to all those things. And I remember I was so amazed by God actually revealing to me things in that hour that I could have probably heard earlier, right? And so just that one moment, that's all I needed. That was like November, I think, of last year. But this whole hard time happened like earlier on in the year. And just for God to just, you know, be in that moment after all the snot and the tears and all the yelling and the things that happened, he seriously, it was so clear to me, like the things that he was saying. And it just unlocked revelations that I never thought that I could ever hear, right? And so, like, the thing that I want to tell you today is that none of my circumstances have changed, right? Like, everything happened. The divorce is happening because the law takes a long time for stuff to process and, like, things like that. And even, like, everything, like, when I look at my situation now, like, nothing has changed. And the May started up this spring, nothing has changed. And I could be in the same place that I was last year. But one thing I did realize was during this time, when God was really taking my hand and leading me out of discouragement, I had changed. And my heart had changed. And my response to everything else had changed. And for me to even be able to say this and say, hey, I got through this. And even like Elijah like got through it, then seriously, it's not cheesy guys, but you guys can get through it too. And so all these things, like with all that said, I really wanna this is why I was so excited because I couldn't even like I think because it was so raw for me and even just the emotions, like everything was so raw and that for that to happen and then for me to be like, Man, God, like I can't even imagine how many more students who are dealing with deep discouragement right now, how set free they can be, you know?
And so, all right, I want you guys to actually uh, stand up and close your eyes.